We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 144. Hey, Scott, happy birthday. Thank you, even though we're recording this the day before my birthday. But today, as I people are listening, it. it's your birthday. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You ruined my surprise right before we were going to record. You said, <laughs> hey, by the way, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. And I said, damn it. Messing yeah. up my surprise for him in the beginning. And, and it, I actually remembered. And it had nothing to do with me telling you that, that I wanted to say it was my birthday. It was me complaining that I couldn't remember something and that the fact that it's my birthday is making it even worse. At what age did you start forgetting how old you were? No, I don't forget how old I am. I know damn well how old I am. Oh, really? It's because the, there was a yeah. point um, I forgot. It was like the, the 23, 24, 25. I just totally forgot what number I was because to me those are all the same age. Well, that's because you were drunk. And you just didn't remember a lot of things at the time, and you were just confused in where you were. It's fine. That's that's totally different than, you know, forgetting what you're doing at a given second and so then realizing it's, it's your birthday. Go. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I I know how old I am. It's just uh, you know the 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 fleeting memories of um of things that I used to remember like very specific details. They are starting to fade, <laughs> and they're and they're fading fast. Well, happy birthday. I'm not going to sing happy birthday to you. I'm not going to do that to our listeners because uh, they would have to mute. They would have to mute the podcast. Yeah, definitely. I would probably edit it out anyway. So it's uh, (laughs) it's a good thing that you didn't waste anybody's time or earbuds. So I appreciate it, though. It wouldn't be the first time one of us has sung on this podcast, though. If you remember, 
Yeah, the Cars for Kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do remember things. The Cars for Kids theme song is very catchy. That's a that's a good one. I think anybody can sing that song. It's it's kind of in that perfect lane, you know. We might not. Uh, we might be confusing people because that was after the 2015 Wild Card game. You and I recorded at like one o'clock in the morning after we were pissed <laughs> off that the Yankees absolutely shit all over themselves in that game. We were both a little buzzed. You were cranky, and I made you sing the Cars for Kids song. Yeah, I thought it came out pretty well too. Yeah, I, it was, I was a good uh, episode. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was good. Uh, nice little jingle. So we're about a week away from the June 10th event. You you pumped up? Yeah, we're less than a week. We're we're closing in. I'm I'm excited. Uh, obviously, everything the the tickets everything stopped uh, for sale last after last Monday. So we are in just basically behind the scenes. There's just a whole bunch of planning going on right now. The t-shirts will all be in this week. We have um, I'm, I'm, right now. I have uh, the electronic tickets have been sent to me by the Yankees, and I'm kind of mapping everything out. So if you are listening and you're expecting me to get an email to you with the tickets, they're coming. Don't worry. Um, the the Q, the code, the QR code or whatever, the UPC code that is on the actual app doesn't show up till 48 hours prior to the game anyway. So that is, uh, it doesn't even matter if you have it, you can't do anything with it, but, um, they're going out this week, early this week and we will, uh, we'll get ready for it, but I'm pumped up, man. We got a big flag, like a six foot by 10 foot flag, a three foot by five (laughs) foot flag, all sorts of stuff. We got some big head things coming in signs. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that, those signs are going to be huge. Uh, hopefully, that'll get us on on the TV. It's it's the Fox game. It's uh, Fox Saturday Night Baseball on Saturday. Oh, okay. Is it really? I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that kind of sucks. We had a we had a nice little connection with the Yes Network on that <laughs> on the game, and now it's Fox. Well, just remember, it's a parent company. Maybe they can give them the heads up. Yeah. No, that'd be. We'll, we'll still work our magic. I wonder Is if A Rod's not that calling game. this one. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Damn. We missed an opportunity with a big head A-Rod. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, again, uh, looking forward to meeting everybody uh, next Saturday, so cannot wait. Also, thanks everyone for, for rating and reviewing the podcast. A lot of great reviews came in. It really helps us out, as we said. So take a second, pause this show, go rate and review us, give us five stars. As Scott said last week, it helps us make more shows. It helps us get noticed, and, and that's just going to make this podcast even better. Also, in case you guys missed it, on the last episode, 143, we talked to Chance Adams. It was a quick talk. It was after <laughs> his uh, morning baseball game, which was weird. But it was fun to get a t- uh, chance to talk to him and um, learn. Learn. I learned that he's extremely laid back, and I don't think anything <laughs> is ever going to bother this kid. And I think that's a good thing. Because yeah. when he gets called up to the majors, it is coming. I don't know if it's going to be sooner rather than later, but it's coming. He's got the type of attitude where if he if he gives up a couple hits, he, he can shrug it off. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think I saw I saw a tweet coming in after someone had listened to it saying that Chance Adams needs to go to the um, Aaron Judge or the Derek Jeter school of interviewing that Aaron Judge has gone to. <laughs> and what one thing let's let's just you know not all these guys can can they want to do interviews like that. They're not. It's just you know it depends on their personality and. Chase, uh, Chance Adams is certainly a super laid back dude. Um, and like you said, nothing really bothers this guy. You can tell. And he's just, you know, he'll, he, he's going to get out who's in front of him. And he's going to pitch to the catcher who's in front of him. And he will play for whatever uniform he's wearing on that given day. That's him, basically. I liked his answer when I talked about if he's keeping an eye on analysts talking about him getting called up. His answer was, yeah, eh, whatever. Eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, this Toronto series. Uh, unfortunately, the Yankees lost the, the getaway game on Sunday. It was kind of a gut punch of a, of a game. 
They played 500 in, in Toronto and split the four-game series. They've been playing 500 ball for about the last 20 games. They're still in first place because of that blazing hot start. But when you look back at 20 games, I mean, that's a healthy sample size. 500 ball, they, they win a couple games, and then every, every time they get some momentum, something happens. Um, today, Severino pitched great, except, you know, Toronto just hit a bunch of home runs like they always do. So, I... I don't, I don't want to call this team a 500 team because they're obviously not a 500 team, but they're playing like one for going on three weeks at this point. Well, the positive thing is if you look at what's going on in the AL East is, um, I mean, you said that they're in first place because of the blazing start, but if you actually remember back, or uh, the Orioles had that same blazing start. They were off to the races and they were pretty much neck, neck for neck the entire way when the Yankees were at their hottest. And they actually had a you know a, a decent chunk of uh, games where they were losing. I think they had a seven-game seven losing streak. Yeah. yeah, and obviously Boston was uh, is, is been climbing out. They they had a trouble time, but they're on on uh, playing a lot better baseball right now. And then Toronto is the same boat. So uh, these other teams have had much worse you know, downtime than 500 baseball. So if this is the, you know, the bad part of the, the, the slumping Yankees and they're playing 500, I think that's kind of a good sign to tell you the truth. The fact that they can, you know, not play their best ball and still be at that 500 mark. I think that's a good sign of, uh, you know, a team that's going to be there for the long haul. And, and like you said, they've been, they've had a lot of things go wrong between the Tanaka being the worst pitcher on their team, Chapman getting injured, Greg Bird being non-existent, and them having absolutely nothing from first base. Gary yep. Sanchez not really hitting. Headley turning back into Chase Headley. So a lot of things have <laughs> gone wrong, and they're still winning. I mean, thanks to some guys performing out of their mind. But, yeah. Or excuse me, they're not winning, but they're still splitting. Well, they you know, are still split. winning. That's they're, the thing. They're, they're, winning, they're winning the games that they, they wouldn't be winning. Yeah, no doubt. They should be losing more than they are right now. A year, not. A year ago, this team would have, instead of going... I think it's uh, eleven and eleven in their last twenty-two games. They would, you know, they would have won seven of those games instead of eleven. So, um, Ellsbury's concussion sy- symptoms have returned, and it's it's obviously not affecting them on the field because Aaron Hicks is playing the best baseball of his career. But uh, this concussion thing with Ellsbury is starting to get scary for him because I always date back to um, Justin Morneau, and he was never the same player after that concussion. And concussions are one of those things that. It just lingers forever. And we know Ellsbury's a slow healer, and I know concussions are a totally different thing than a, a bruised shoulder or a banged-up knee or something like that. But this could be scary for Jacoby. There's no doubt about it. It's nothing to mess around with, with the, uh, you know, obviously head injuries. But um, And the thing that's that's worrisome is that, to me, when I'm looking at that play that, that it happened on, it, you know, it, it wasn't that... It didn't seem like he hit his head that hard. I, I saw the... The more of the strain of the neck, like that's what they were calling a neck strain, concussion symptoms type thing. It was the whiplash? I thought, yeah, it was. The, I, so I thought he had the, the neck was the bigger issue just by looking at what happened. But yeah, I mean, if these concussion symptoms are still coming back and he's having problems, you know, with vision or, or you know, blurry mind or whatever it is, I mean, that that is a that's scary for sure. There's no doubt about it, and uh, you never want to see anybody with that. Um, like you said, on the field, there's really nothing that's that's uh, hurt the Yankees because Hicks has been out of his mind. It's just so weird that. In 1975, that same exact play happens. Ellsbury's out there the next day. And he's yeah. probably complaining about he feels dizzy and he, he might be vomiting and not feeling right. Yeah. And they're just like, well, you're going to get over it. Like, well, go, I mean, he's go got drink flu, some of that, flu-like yeah, go symptoms. Go drink some of the coffee. Go yeah. drink some of that greeny coffee. Right. So, uh, Yeah, you're right. Hicks, he's already tied his home runs and RBIs from all of last season with 8 and 31. It's amazing. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's I don't even know what it is. The, you know, They were talking about an approach where – he was. Uh, he actually got some some tutelage from Chris Young, 
go figure that because they were in the a Chris similar Young, position. The, the old current Red Sox player, old current Yankee Red Sox, player? former Yankee. Yeah. That was in a similar position where he was, you know, the fourth outfielder, not playing every day, fourth, fifth outfielder. And uh, apparently he had some advice. I don't know if it was tutelage in the sense of like <laughs> mechanics wise, but he, the, apparently he, you know, had a phone call with him or whatnot. I guess they're friends. And, um, you know, just basically saying to take the the at bats like you're an everyday guy and not go out there and or I'm sorry, take the at bats like you are. Uh, you can't go out there like an everyday guy and just try to hit home runs in batting practice. But you got to be prepared and really just key on your on the on the things that you need to be prepared for every single day so that you can be ready. Um, and it's it's just an interesting dynamic because actually he's been playing almost every day. And he's been lights out. And I think that was the biggest thing that they said last year. If this guy has more consistent playing time, he is a better player. But honestly, I just think it's it's just a coming of a player. I mean, he's he's had enough time, uh, you know, full-time play in the major leagues at this point where he's just, you know, coming into his own, I guess. It's pretty phenomenal. He's not swinging at bad pitches anymore. And it's showing because he ranks in the top 10 of all outfielders for walks. And it's in a good amount of less at-bats. So are we giving Cochran a lot of credit here? Because that's the exact same approach that Aaron Judge is taking as well. Aaron Dude. Judge is not swinging at bad pitches. Starling Castro has cut down quite a bit on bad pitches. This could be, I mean, that actually does sound like an approach, a hitting, uh, something that a hitting coach could actually help with. Whatever sports psychologist that Judge went to, maybe Hicks went to in the offseason, that guy is the best in the, in the world at what he does. Yeah. Well, see, I think it's just, you know, having the mentality of not swinging at bad pitches and really recognizing the ball out of the hand better. And, uh, you know, a lot of that could be Cochran. That could be Marcus Timms. Marcus Timms has a good rapport with a lot of the younger guys. So you never know. Maybe that's just a, they have a lot of trust in him. So they're, they're going with what he's saying. I don't know, but whatever it is, it's working. I like the tandem. He's embracing his, he, he, he almost won the right fielder job out of spring training. And we all thought that was ridiculous. But as, as it turns out, I mean, he played out of his mind in spring training. So he deserved to be in that conversation. And he's played out of his mind for the first two months of the season. But instead of getting down on himself that he wasn't a starter, he embraced that fourth outfielder role, like you said. So maybe it was just a mental thing. Something clicked in his head. And he probably realized, I think he's, what, 26 years old at this point? If yeah. I don't start embracing my job, I'm going to be out of baseball. Right. And it's funny because that's what a year older than Aaron judge. Cause Aaron judge is not the youngest guy in the world either. When you're right. talking about prospects and rookies. So yeah, they're they're I mean, 25, 26, 27, that's your prime. Like that you're, you're, he, they're entering their prime physically at this point. And as far as baseball goes, you know, it does take a few years for them to, to just get their legs under them and just the speed of the game and all of the, you know, all the things that people say that are cliche about baseball and starting off, uh, but but yeah, it does seem like the cliche answer is right, and the game is slowing down for both of these guys. He had a huge hit on Thursday. You remember that Thursday game? Marco Estrada started for the Blue Jays, and Marco yeah. Estrada is one of these guys that always pitches well against the Yankees. He pitches yep. mediocre against everyone else, but for whatever reason, pitches great against the Yankees. The Yankees finally hit him, but Hicks had that three RBI double in the first inning after the Yankees loaded the bases and got it down to two outs, and you're thinking, oh shit, here we go again. Runners left in scoring position. But Hicks saved him, and the Yankees ended up scoring 12 runs. So that's he's also been phenomenal with runners in scoring position. And six RBIs on Thursday, career high. Yeah, and what you like you said, two outs. That's the big key for me. You got a, a guy that that is up trying to pick up his teammates where they had two opportunities, and he comes in and delivers. And that's such a pivotal point in that game because, like you said, Marco Estrada is always good against the Yankees. The guy, for whatever reason, has just pinpoint command. He's hard to hit. Uh, he doesn't throw hard. He's just one of those guys who just you know picks and picks apart the plate. 
and can throw it where he wants to. And if he doesn't get that at bat and he doesn't score or he doesn't get a big hit right there, you never know. Estrada could find his his zone and, and just you know continue to, uh, to to pitch well against the Yankees. But at that point, big spot. Boom, take him out, and uh, that set the tone. So huge, huge, huge for Hicks. Yet another reminder, these are different Yankees. Very different Yankees. No doubt not a whole the, different team. Not the same team anymore. So yeah, the, the NY is still the same, but the players are different. So, And uh, Sanchez was batting second, which has not been anything different, but he Joe had Judge batting third, which yeah. I've liked because Judge has been their best hitter all season. So maybe stick... Stick him in the three spot, get Sanchez going. And it worked on Thursday, hit two home runs. It didn't work the rest of the weekend. But I I keep seeing signs that maybe Sanchez is back. Maybe Sanchez is back. I don't know when it's coming, but I think it's coming soon. Yeah, I definitely think it is too because he hit those two home runs. And then on Friday, his first two at-bats, he hit the ball very hard and it was just right at people. So he's still squaring the ball up. And he he had good at bats, so I definitely see it happening. The uh, I love I loved the two three with uh, with Sanchez and Judge. I mean, it gives him the protection. You got Holiday Castro behind uh, behind uh, Judge, and theoretically, if all works out well, you have uh, you know a healthy Greg Bird to come back and also slot in somewhere behind there. So there's a lot of protection for all of these guys, and and you know putting the the hottest hitter of the Yankees behind Sanchez is the perfect way to get him going and get him better pitches. So I like the move. I think in an ideal world, if Bird comes back, he's not going to come back and slot right into the middle of the order. They're going to see if he's healthy and playing well. But if he oh, does right. play well, down the line, I think you'd have Sanchez, Bird, Judge, 2-3-4. Exactly. And no, you're, you're right. He's not going to be in there you know, from the get. There's no, there's no way. He's going to be at the bottom of the lineup. He's going to have to prove that he can actually hit in the major leagues in 2017. He's going to be in the let Chris al- Carter alone- 9 spot. Yeah, let alone be an MVP candidate, but this is a this is a guy that's definitely going to have to prove himself again. Oh, see, I meant second half MVP. Oh, oh, okay, all right. So there's time for that. So he's got he's got a good uh, he's got his he's in his spring training right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's uh, he's got a long way to go, I think, at this point to catch Matt Holiday, Matty Muscles, oh. Matty Hustle after today. Matty Hustle after today. That was a big. Well, at the time, it was big. <laughs> uh, Guardy with his 1,000th career hit. A nice little milestone for him. It just sort of reminds you. I tweeted out those pictures. I went back because 08 was his rookie year, and I went back to find some pictures. And people forget that he had hair in 2008. Yeah, it was it was fleeting. It was definitely starting to crawl and, and run away from the the front of his head. But it was uh, it was there and good for him. I mean, again, it, like you said, it kind of reminds everybody that a thousand career hits with the Yankees. This is the longest tenured Yankee. He's been on the team for a long time. And the fact that he's having such a good season is, is, is good to, is good to see because we were all ready to, for the past two to three years to, to trade Gardner. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have been more wrong by looking at it what he's wasn't doing right now. Anything against Brett Gardner. It was just the situation that the team was in. And, if the Yankees don't give Jacoby Ellsbury $153 million, we're loving the fact that we have Brett Gardner as a left fielder right now. It's just they're redundant players when they're both playing. Well, except for this year when Brett Gardner is hitting you know home runs every other at bat. So Brett, Brett, Reggie Jackson, Gardner, right? Yeah, the yeah the the bald Bash brothers, which I'm seeing everybody take now. After I tweeted it, that was nice of them. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad everybody's taking credit for that. The, Dude, uh, you, if you're gonna get mad over someone taking a t- Twitter, is the wild, wild. I'm, I'm not mad about it. I'm just making a point and saying it. That's all. I'm just saying it. I could care less. You know how many of my graphics get stolen on Twitter every day? Like yeah. they're everywhere now. 
Um, I, I find it as a compliment. Thank you. The uh, But no, it's good to see. Like, obviously, this dude's playing the best baseball of his career, and it looks like he's having a great time. I mean, it looks like he and Holiday are embracing that that whole uh, little stick with the two of them. And, and I don't know, they look like they look like they're uh, fast friends, and they feed off of each other on the field. And Gardner looks like his younger brother. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. They 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 uh, quickly replaced the Judge and Torres tandem, which we haven't really seen much of. I don't, when's the last time Torres played? I can't even tell you. Yeah, a couple days ago when Headley was, I mean, he's been playing when Headley's been been terrible. But yeah, it's just well, Torres hasn't been hitting like he was to start the season, so he's become more of a a forgotten utility guy than the than Toe, the the guy who's you know like the super utility guy. He's he's become more of that forgotten guy who just plays because Headley is terrible. I was pretty nervous for Sabathia going into Toronto against that left-handed lineup, but he pitched really well. It was his fourth good start in a row. So other than those three starts in early May when he was absolutely terrible, he's been really good. So which CC, which is the real CC? You know, I, I, I still think that the when we're looking at what he was doing when he was struggling badly, he was a guy who was getting into trouble early in the game. And that, to me, was strange. Because when CC started fading, when, when his career started going down and the velocity was down, he was still getting through games early. It was the fifth, sixth inning when he's seeing these guys for this the, you know third time around when he was getting knocked around. So the fact that he was struggling early was, I don't know, to me, like a, just a, a sign that you know maybe this was just something weird. It was a mechanical thing. It was a mental thing. And, and he could work himself out of it. And I, he looks like he has. He's done really well. I still think we're going to get the you know, an occasional terrible start and maybe a string of terrible starts. But I think for the most part, he's going to keep us in the game. And you're going to see a quality start from CC Sabathia. I, but I, terrible start doesn't even begin to say how bad. I mean, he, was, he gave up five runs in Cincinnati in the second inning. That just totally right. buries your team. That's beyond terrible. Well, that's what I'm saying. Doing it early is weird. That's a weird thing for that. If you're looking at his track record and the way that he has has kind of digressed as a pitcher, it's really not early in the games. It's usually, you know, after that second or third time around the the batting order, and he's just, you know, he just doesn't have the velocity he used to. So he's catching up to himself, and uh, I don't know what why that. Maybe it was just a bad few starts. Who knows? So I got a bone to pick with uh, John Gibbons and the Toronto Blue Jays. They challenged a play in the seventh inning of Thursday's game, down seven runs at the plate. Didi was scoring, so it would have been eight nothing. Didi ended up being safe. It took three and a half minutes in a seven to nothing ball game. Can we not challenge plays and go to replay if it's more than I don't know, maybe a four run game or a five run game? That is ridiculous. Seven no. runs in the seventh inning, and you're challenging yes. a play. Absolutely. Why, Why wouldn't you? Because the Yankees came back from 9-1 against Baltimore. Do you not remember that? Anything happens. If you're a, a manager of the opposing team and you're down and you see a play that is uh, that you think was wrong, of course you're going to challenge it. If it's there, you're going to challenge what, it. I don't care how many cutoff? you're down. Ten runs? There is no cutoff. There's no cutoff. There needs to be a cutoff. No, there doesn't. There needs to be no cutoff. If there's a, it needs to have. It needs to be all about the the play, and it needs to be. If if they get it wrong. Get it right. I don't give. A, I don't care when the game is, where the game is, and, and what you know, at what time, how many people, how many runs they're down. Get the call right. That's the bottom. That's the. That's why it's there. All right, guys. I want to take a minute to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Baseball is in full swing, and coaches know the key to a winning season is a strong roster. They need to find the players with the right skills and experience to get them from opening day all the way to October and the World Series. Companies are not any different. Successful businesses need the top talent. So where are you going to go 
to scout for new employees, you got to be using ZipRecruiter. You can't find the best candidates by posting your job to just one site. You need to post them on all of the top sites. And now you can using ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then they have a powerful algorithm that effectively matches the right people to your position. That's what makes ZipRecruiter different. Unlike any other job sites, it does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get qualified candidates in just 24 hours. That's quick. It's quick results. You won't have time. You don't have time to juggle emails and calls anymore, so you can make it a simple and easy uh, screening process. You can rate and manage candidates all in one place using ZipRecruiter. Use ZipRecruiter right now. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx. ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx. You can try it for free today using ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx. So the Yankees won a blowout game on Thursday. Friday, Pineda had absolutely nothing. He was Michael Pineda. But unlike past Pineda's, he didn't really melt down on the mound. He battled out there. Well, yeah, and they kept him out there for because the, the bullpen was was depleted. They wanted to make sure that he had was able to get through you know, a, a good chunk of that game. They, they put that on him. They realized that, you know, Girardi was like, look, you're not, you're not out there to win the game at this point. You're out there to get through this start and give us, you know, a, a decent amount of innings so that we don't get crushed for the rest of the series with our bullpen. And, uh, I mean, he did that. At least he, he went out there and started pitching. And he, he got through the game, um, a little bit more, but yeah, he was not good. He was, you could tell from the beginning that he was just, uh, was just didn't have his good stuff. You're absolutely right. Girardi actually said on the next day's pregame that Pineda had nothing, but they were going to leave him out there. And he actually liked that he battled. Um, He had three walks and only one strikeout, which is very uncharacteristic. I actually noticed that this is the second consecutive game Pineda has walked three guys, which he's always had impeccable command. So maybe he's just going through a rough patch. And this was actually the first time since his first start of the season he let up more than three earned runs. So that's two months of him being pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and and complain about Michael Pineda at all because I mean he has been absolutely nothing but you know exceeding our expectations for this entire season. The they had the graphic up today about you know best uh, percentage walk to strikeout ratio and Pineda and Severino were both up you know towards the top of the American League. So. The, the both of these guys have impeccable control. When you see them go out and walk guys, it's uh it's just a telltale sign that something's not right, that they're not with their sharpest stuff on that day. So I'm glad he battled too. I mean I agree. I'm glad they left him out there because it had to happen for you know to make sure that the bullpen was in decent shape. And, you know, he 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 dealt he kinda took it, you know what I mean? And and and, and got through as long as he could and uh and didn't do he did battle. He he battled and battled, and uh, it was a good sign. He didn't give up. Like he would, he didn't have the uh, what did you call it? The flailing car wash arms. Flailing, exactly. <laughs> uh, the Yankees ended up scoring five runs in this game, which is how much Pineda gave up. So it was the bullpen that couldn't hold the Blue Jays. But the Yankees also wasted opportunities because you remember Gardner let off. Uh, there was an error, but he was on third base with no outs in the first inning. They stranded him on third base. And then in the third inning, the Yankees had bases loaded with one out, and I think it was Holiday who grounded into a double play. So even if you scratch across Gardner in the first and then one run in the third, it's a, it's a ball game going into the fifth inning, and, and you're not totally out of it. It seemed like every time the Yankees came back too, they the bullpen gave up, you know, just that yep. that run right back almost immediately yep. and took the momentum out of the game <clears> because <throat> the Yankees scored four runs in the uh sixth inning. Holder comes out for the bottom of the sixth, gives up a run. Yankees get one run back in the top of the seventh, 
Warren comes out for the seventh inning and gives up another run. So, Dude, I cannot handle seeing that number 65. I'm serious. Every time I see him come out there, I think of Phil Hughes. PTSD, man. Every single time. He kind of looks like Phil Hughes a little bit too with the uniform on, and it's it freaks me out. And then the ball just leaves the ballpark. Uh, in the air, constantly with him pitching. It's just it's uh, it's pissing me off. I really want him to change numbers. So I have a random question for you. There's a scenario. So Kendry Morales was batting late in the game, and Bautista's on first base. Bautista. So the Yankees are shifting. They have overshift. Headley is in the second base position. The runner on first base, uh, Bautista runs. Why are they having Chase Headley then? cover the bag aren't you shifting for a reason because it ended up being ground ball right to yeah. where Headley would have been in the shift if you're going to shift leave the guys on the right side because percentages say Morales is going to ground to the right side and that's exactly what he did you already have the entire left side basically open why not just open it up a little more so I'm trying to remember the exact play and the formation of these guys. Was Didi behind the bag in the outfield grass, uh, uh, behind second? He was still in the short spot. No, he, he was kind of playing He was playing a deep shortstop. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I, see, I, I agree with you in the – if you're going to shift and they're running, why are you pulling Chase Headley, first of all, who's not a second baseman, to cover the bag, and you are getting rid of the shift at that point. So it, it's right. a strange move. I, I I agree, but I, you can't give up the the run. That's why I'm. I was wondering where Didi was. Like, could Didi cover the bag at that point? I know, and I, and I know. I guess that's gonna then bring in a whole situation where who's gonna cover third base because Didi would have to then. But no, because Didi was was gonna be the guy uh, covering on a, on a double play anyway. So it just, I mean, shifting creates all these other problems for you. But I I just think that. You're shifting for a reason. Let's keep those guys in position. Don't don't move more guys around for no reason. So and that run ended up scoring. So just a just one of those weird things that ran through my head. Um, Montgomery pitched well on Saturday. He was in and out of jams, and just like CC, I was kind of nervous about him going into this lineup against you know Donaldson, Bautista, all those right-handed hitters. He got he looked terrible against Baltimore a week ago. He looked really good against Toronto. Uh, he was getting his swings and misses on his changeup down and his curveball down. This is what we've seen from Montgomery, right? Where he has he he does lose the strike zone from time to time, but his stuff plays in the major leagues. His stuff absolutely plays, and the the fact that he had such a good performance against that all right-handed team, you know, with a lot of these big right-handed bats, and this, I mean, this is a you get rid of Encarnacion. I mean, look at what he's doing this year. He's not having a great season. Uh, you could compare him and Holiday right now, and looking at the free agent additions, and Holiday's crushing what. Uh, what Encarnacion is doing. But what the, what's happening is that Justin Smoke has basically just came in and take that spot and is just mashing the ball. Uh, Unreal. Yeah. How, does, how, does the, how do the Blue Jays find these guys just off the scrap heap to come in and hit home Yeah, runs? it's pretty crazy how, how uh, Smoke's having such a, such a good season. And, I mean, he was a, a highly touted guy. He's like the Aaron Hicks of their team, I guess. He's the, just found his legs late in a, in a, in a career, and he's Who putting is- it together. Who was the guy, the, the outfield? Saunders? Didn't they have Saunders come in, basically? Yeah, Michael Saunders, a, yeah. Michael Saunders. He was a scrap heap guy. He comes in, hits like 25 home runs for them. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a this is a formidable lineup. This is a lineup that's that's dangerous and at yeah. any point can get back into a ball game, as we saw today on Sunday. But um, the fact that Montgomery did, went out there and, 
and uh, and did well against this team on the road. I mean, that's that's a big that's a big performance, and I think that does tell that his stuff does play at the major league level, and that you know he's got the confidence in his stuff, and he's got the ability to go on the road and pitch against a, uh, an uh, an AL East com- uh, opponent. So a lot of really good things from him. So he's not going anywhere. If you're calling for a change and you want Chance Adams to come up immediately, and this is the guy that's being sent down, it's not happening. We're seeing an evolution of a pitcher. I mean, they're going to let him develop. And uh, I think it's the right move. So funny. So funny you bring that up. I was just going to ask you. People are saying, when is Chance Adams getting called up? Who are you going to take out of the rotation? Because barring an injury, I I mean, I know Tanaka's been terrible, but they're not going to take Tanaka out of the rotation unless he's injured. More on that later, a little teaser. But Montgomery has not done anything wrong to be taken out of the rotation. No, absolutely not. And I think the fact that Chance Adams is in AAA right now is more to the point that they want to make sure that they're covered in case there is an injury or in case there is something that happens on the big league level so that they can have another option for, uh, you know, to come up as a spot start or whatever. But getting him seasoned early, I think, is is, a, is as important to them so that, you know, he's ready for when that call does come. It's not like they're going to call him up just because, you know, he's doing really well. They're going to call him up, I think, when they when they need him. And it's got to be because somebody else is either hurt or or um, right now it's going to be an injury. That's That's really the only way. Remember, though, Chance Adams has only had five starts in AAA. Yeah. That's, not, that's not a lot. Right. So he's got to have more time. Classic pitchers duel on Sunday. It lived up to the hype. Severino versus Stroman. I kind of think that they are very similar pitchers on the mound. Yeah, they're... I mean, they both have... They both throw the ball hard. They're both big-time competitors, you could tell. It was fun. I tell you, when I saw the um, pitching matchup, I was really looking forward to this game just because... I think a lot of us, when we were watching the WBBC, if you got into it and you were watching Stroman pitch, on, he was on your team at that point. He's a USA guy from New York. You know, I don't know. He's a guy that you kind of root for, to tell you the truth. It's, it's a, I like to him. me, it's I disappointing like that he's in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he's a. I, I do like watching him pitch, and I like the way that he plays the game. You could tell he's he's intense and he's a, a big time competitor. So it was fun to watch, yeah. and uh, and he battled out there too. He was it was a, it was a great pitcher's duel, no doubt. He's only five nine. Yeah. Well, they say he's. That's what the list is. They say he's like five. But seven. you don't see that. That's uh, like uh, Justice Sheffield, right? He's a, he's a short guy. Yeah. You don't. See, you usually don't see pitchers that short. No, it's like you know. And you don't. You don't see baseball players that short. But, but especially it looks different. I mean, you're used to these pitchers. Even even like the average starting pitcher is probably like six two. I, he reminds me during the WBC. I put a split image of uh, of him and Flash Gordon, Tom Gordon. They they reminded mm-hmm. me of similar yeah, stature guys, squatty, squatty guys. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it lived up to the hype on the pitchers duel. It looked like the Yankees were getting the best of, of Stroman. They scratched a couple runs off of him. But everything, the, the air was sucked out of the Yankees' uh, sails in the, what was it, the seventh inning? Seven. Or sixth inning. Yeah. Sixth inning, two outs, Justin Smoke, uh, tie game. It's two-run homer. Hung a slider. Severino hung a slider on the first pitch. Kind of looked like he had a mental lapse there. I don't know what happened. But um, I, you knew once that ball went over the fence that it was bad news. It's so disappointing because this is not the first time this has happened to Severino where he does really well all game and then gives up has one mental lapse, it gives up a big a big home run and you almost you look at the line and then that's it. It changes the the complete way you have to look at that that start because he couldn't get through the the final one. He had a two out, he let up a two out single and then he was a, it was a get me over slider that Smoke just was looking for obviously and destroyed it. And uh and then that's it. Game is completely different at that point. 2-2 tie game, and like you said, the momentum is 100% onto the Blue Jays at that point, 
And uh, and then we saw what, what happened after that. You know, Clippard gives up a uh, the go ahead home run to uh, to Donaldson, one of the guys to me that I hate that cannot beat you, but. Right there, you know, Clippard goes to I think it was a full count, and Donaldson takes him deep. So, well, he fell behind in the count, and you knew once he fell behind, it's like it's, Donaldson is sitting all over a fastball, and Clippard's fastball is not that good. He left it belt high, and and Donaldson smashed it to right field. Third home run of the series for Donaldson. I hate him and his patchy little beard. <laughs> I don't know if Clippard really was just missing spots, but I'm not even challenging uh, Donaldson at that point. I- I'm not. Well, you got it's the heart of the lineup. You got <laughs> Bautista and then Smoke coming up. Yeah, well, after him it was Kendry Morales, isn't it? Wasn't it Encarnacion then Kendry Morales okay. and, and no, not Bautista. Okay, well then he got him out. So because Morales was after that, and Clippard has good numbers against Morales. Got Morales. I don't know. I'm just being extra careful with Josh Donaldson. He's the guy. Yeah, he's the, he's the he's guy. Their best. He's their best player. And yeah, you cannot leave a, a fastball. With a 3-2 count over the heart of the plate. Just can't do it. I know Clippard's numbers overall look pretty good, but this is, again, I'm using the eye test. Can we can we use the eye test still, or is that frowned upon at this point? I don't like what my eyes are telling me watching Tyler Clippard pitch. I don't know, but it's opposite of what you say. I'm the, I'm the eye test guy. You're the one that goes with the metrics, and if you look at the metrics, I, mean, I use both. <laughs> Clippard's like, you know, he's all right. I, I'm the modern baseball fan, Scott. I use both. I, I'm a I'm an eye test guy mainly, and yes, you're right. He's been leaving over at big times. He's been leaving. You, you go with your gut. Yeah, you gotta and and I don't know. For me, I'm just not challenging him right there, and you got to make damn sure that you don't. So I know you you have a little second guess on Joe Girardi in this situation. Yeah, I, you know this is the this is the exact situation when you know in the I think in spring training and even in the off season after what we saw in the playoffs last year with the way. Um, that uh, Francona and uh, and Chicago they use the the Chapmans and the Millers in the in the different innings. Now they're using them in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, and they're not just the ninth inning guy. Uh, and the reason they're doing that is because the game called for it at that point. The way that the game transpired called for a big opportunity. You bring in your guy to shut down, you know, a key point of the of the of the, of the game itself. And right there was an opportunity for me when you have the heart of your lineup up in a tie game after after they just tied it, going into the eighth inning, you know who's around the corner is Osuna, who's been very, very good this season. I'm bringing in Batantis to shut down the middle of that lineup. You got Really? I'm bringing in Batantis to shut down that lineup, give the guys an opportunity to not face Osuna, uh, which which he still might have come in in the ninth, probably would have actually. And then, you know, you're, you're giving your opportunity, your 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 lineup an opportunity to uh, to put some runs up. But yeah, I'm shutting down the middle of that lineup when I can. And if Clippard's so, a guy that you don't have a ton of faith in and he's been giving up some some big stuff right there, that's a clean inning. Give for Batances, get through it, and then deal with it afterwards. Well, Batances is the closer right now. I'd agree with you if, if, if Chapman's healthy, you bring in Batances in that situation. Well, he would have been in anyway. That would have been his spot. That would have been his normal spot. I'm talking about something out of the norm. If, there was, if the Yankees had a one-run lead, I totally agree with you. Let's go to Batances for a two-out save. I know he pitched on Saturday, but he hadn't pitched for a week. Not even a bullpen warm-up pitch, if you can believe it. But I'm not bringing in my closer in the tie game of an eighth inning. I am. When you're looking at, and I don't. When you're looking at this particular situation, you're looking at who was up, and you have the heart of the Toronto lineup at that point. And if you're bringing in Clippard, who has been shaky, especially against uh, some big name guys, I I think Batances at that moment, while it's not conventional is a perfect opportunity to come in, shut down that lineup when it matters, where they do the most impact and damage, and then give the rest of your uh, your team an opportunity to come in and and, and win the game. I mean, I think what if- that Joe Girardi has enough confidence to throw Adam Warren out there in a save opportunity and try to win the game, uh, you know, in a, in a save opportunity there as well. I got no problem well, with that. What if- 
What happens if Batances comes in in the eighth, gets him one, two, three? The Yankees don't score in the top of the ninth. What do you do for the bottom of the ninth? Then you either it depends on uh, on well again you're you're seeing now you're already through the lineup so you could bring in Clipper to that point. So your your I'm issue playing to the, I'm you're, playing to who's in you're front playing of me. to the lineup. Yes. Yeah, you're you're looking at the lineup and but okay that, that's mean, a not, huge moment it's not at that stupid, point. It's the but. it's the it's the all of the momentum is now on Toronto's side. So don't you want to you know put out that fire when you have an opportunity to when you have the biggest name guys coming up put your best pitcher out there and, and mow them down so that you give your t- uh, team a better opportunity wouldn't you rather see Clippard come in in the ninth inning even if it's a tie game against the bottom of that lineup than against the the middle of it because flip the rolls because what if they don't score then you got potatoes coming in at the bottom I'd rather have, you may him, have talked me into this I'd rather have him in there with against the heart of the lineup yeah you may have convinced me yeah. I, it, the issue, though, is the fact that we're seeing without Chapman, the bullpen, other than Batanzas and Chapman, is still gives me they, – they make me nervous. I know the numbers on Clippard and Warren overall have been good, but you, don't, you can't stand Jonathan Holder. I'm nervous with Clippard on the mound. Warren's been a coin flip the last couple of weeks. Is it time to get that Scranton shuttle running? Oh, yeah. You know who's been pretty good? Shreve. Shreve is pre- Shreve's been pretty good. Yeah. And he, but you're not throwing him out there against the Blue Jays in, in a tie game because he's a lefty yeah. and they've got a bunch of mashing right-handed hitters. No doubt about it. And I think that kind of supports what I'm saying as well. The fact that you don't trust a lot of these guys. Don't you want your best guy in there that you trust the most against the most potent bats in the Toronto lineup after they just tied the game and have all the momentum? That's, to me, the opportunity where you have to shut them down because you know that's the, that's the spot where they're looking to score runs uh, and, and take some chances and try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And it worked. It did it. Well, they're coming home. They have an off day. You know they haven't had an off day in like 20 days? Yeah, it's been a long time. They need this. <laughs> I need the off day. I, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, they're playing Boston. No sale in that series. We do face Price, though. He's been uh, pretty decent, actually, since he's returned. Yeah, we'll see what he's like when he plays, when he, when he comes <laughs> to New York. Uh, you know. Yankees, Yankees hit him. Yeah, they've always well, hit him. Again, the old Yankees hit him. These are the new Yankees. Yeah, but he still sees the uniform. You know, He still sees that uniform so, in front of him. Okay, so when it's it, oh, it, when it we works can still to my use advantage, that yes. when it works for our advantage. Yes, got it, absolutely. Got it, got it. <laughs> um, what did you think? So Mr. Matt flips off the fans. The Mets just, oh, God, they're classic Mets. This is another PR nightmare for the Mets. But it got me talking about mascots and how I was so happy the Yankees don't have a mascot because I feel like they're tacky, first of all, and only bad stuff happens with them. It's either the mascot doing something stupid like flipping off a fan or it, it being in a bad uh, – doing you know somehow criticizing a fan or something like that. So I'm glad the Yankees don't have a mascot. Somebody tweeted me a link that the Yankees had a mascot called the Yankee Dandy from 1979 to 1981. When I clicked on that link and saw that picture, I thought it was like a cracked-out-looking Thurman Munson chicken. <laughs> it was the weirdest-looking thing I've ever seen. I cannot believe that was signed off. And Steinbrenner denies it ever happened because he was asked about it like 10 years later. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But he did sign off on the Yankee Dandy. Yeah, he's a weird looking dude. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out because it's strange looking. It's, uh, I'm glad they got rid of it. I think it was a failed mascot plan. It was not a good one. And uh, yeah, the Yankees don't need a mascot. I don't, have, I don't have a problem with the mascots. I think they're fun in some cases, especially in minor league games. To me, it's more of a minor league thing. But you have your, you know, you have your... 
your certain mascots that have been around for a long time and and they do a good job. Like the Philly Fanatic is good. The uh, the actual chicken, where is that? San Diego. The so there's there are some. Do they still have the San Diego? Chicken? I'm not sure. I know he's in the Hall of Fame. I saw the mascot uniform in the Hall of Fame, and I had actually forgotten well, about him. I found out he put a hex on Ron Guidry. Did he? Oh, I don't like that. Yep. Well, Lou Pinella, Lou Pinella was criticizing mascots and then the San Diego Chicken, who was somehow working for Seattle at the time. I don't know how that works. I guess you can share mascots. Put a hex on Ron Guidry. It didn't really work, though, because Louisiana Lightning was Hall of Famer. Yeah, pretty good stuff, even though the Chicken's also in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> at least the suit is. The- they also didn't let the Yankee Dandy out of the upper deck. He just stayed in the upper deck the entire time. <laughs> yep, nosebleeds only. All right, first of all, that's that's dangerous because that it's stadium, steep, right? Yeah, it was steep. Those are like no. If you if you trip going down those stairs in the old Yankee Stadium, I mean, good luck, man. You better oh, catch yeah. something because you're gone. Mm-hmm. In a, I loved it though. In a, it was such a great angle. In a bad there. in a bad mascot suit, you're 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 falling, man. I'm surprised we didn't have a a, a mascot falling off of the upper deck at that point. You it was it took a lot of skill. To walk with four beers and a couple hot dogs up those stairs. No doubt. And if, I mean, God forbid you're hungover walking up there, like you get vertigo terribly. That's what I I Mm -hmm. used to get vertigo terribly after I was hungover in my 20s. Like it would just come at me like a ton of bricks. And I've I've been at a baseball game where that's happened where I've been like severely hungover. I'm like, I can't even get out of my seat. And Yankee Stadium was the worst for that because if you're up there, that thing was, uh, it was steep. Did you ever walk to the last row of the upper deck? Yes. That's far away. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck seeing the baseball. Yeah. It's like you said, you're, you're pretty much on top of the field because it's straight up. Mm-hmm. All right. We got a couple mailbags, so let's get into those now. First one is from Daniel Schneider, and he's got a couple things to say about Masahiro Tanaka. He says, Tanaka's game versus Baltimore looked bad, but once I broke it down, if Judge makes that catch, he has only given up one run at that point. And after that, he only made the only mistake he really made was the first pitch after the walk that Adam Jones hit for the home run. The bottom line is due to his early struggles, I think his ERA will um, be very difficult to get under four. If he manages to do it, then that means he is pitching amazing. If he doesn't, I still think we will turn. I still think he will turn it around, but his numbers at the end of the year may not, might not look as great as they have been in the past few seasons, which may be a good thing for the Yankees since he may not want to opt out or will just ask for a one- or two-year extension. Either way, the Yankees have been able to play 10 or 11 games over 500 so far this season with their ace, in capital letters, pitching poorly for the most uh, for most of it. I think he will turn it around, and with a resurgence of Severino, they could be a good one-two punch. So I wrote something on Friday. I was doing some reading about what is wrong with Masahiro Tanaka. Fangraphs had a really interesting post. It was... It was a nerdy baseball post, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what you need to know. A couple things stood out to me. Tanaka, they Tanaka's most effective pitches in his career up until last through last year were his slider and his splitter, and he threw those 58% of the time. He's only throwing those two pitches 47% of the time this season, so it's an 11% decrease. He's also throwing his four seam fastball way more this season. He's actually using it. A lot more, not only uh, a lot more than last year, but a lot more um, in comparison to his two-seam fastball. So he was always a sinker guy. Now he's throwing a lot of four-seam pitches, and they're getting crushed. Lefties are eating him up. Righties are eating him up. He's giving up. Most of his home runs have come on the four-seam fastball. So whenever a Tanaka injury comes up, people always say, well, look, he's still throwing 94 miles an hour. He can't be injured. But could the fact that maybe... Uh, he's not throwing his splitter and slider much, and it's they're not as effective. He's not getting the same movement. Couldn't that an injury be causing that? Doesn't only have to affect velocity. 
Well, a lot of the time, especially with the, the, the type of injury that Tanaka has, you can still throw the ball straight and hard, and it doesn't really affect you. That what it, what it does affect is throwing with a lot more movement. It's the snap, getting getting that, that late movement on it, that late life. That's where it affects you. This is why I believe it's, and I, I talked about it last week, so I'm not going to really get into this too much and tell you the truth. But I don't think he's hurt because the Yankees are looking for it. They know what his history is. Like he said, like Cashman said, they did CSI Bronx on his arm. They know he, what the opt-out clause is. They they understand the situation. If you think for one second that they're going to let him go out there with any kind of injury, he's not able to hide it at this point. He's under the microscope. The medical microscope is on him. I don't know how he could possibly hide an injury. So that's why I don't buy it. I think he's just struggling. That's what I think. I think we're seeing a guy who is who has zero confidence and is struggling with location first and foremost, and that's why he's going to the four seam because you could throw it uh, where you want it a lot easier than you could throw some of those other pitches. And he's struggling with his command, and because of the fact that he doesn't have control of these uh, the, the the splitter and the two seam, he's going to that four seam and it's getting knocked around because it's a hittable pitch. Well, then why? So the Yankees have said. Remember we talked to Brian Hoke. He said the Yankees believe it's a mechanical issue. Yeah. Clearly, that mechanical issue has not been rectified right. at this point. I understand. That takes time. It's not going to be fixed just in a snap of a finger overnight. But why? It's been three starts at this point, and we really haven't seen any improvements. He actually improved in the Oakland game and then totally reverted. I mean, I know Daniel said, oh, if Judge makes that catch. Yeah, if Judge makes that catch, which Judge should have made that catch. But Tanaka still got rocked. He still gave up a home run, a three-run homer to Adam Jones. He gave up a couple, a lot of hard-hit balls. Headley, I think, saved him a double early in the game. So, but if he's injured, then how is he getting that in-between start where he is good? I mean, see, this is what this is why I I completely take the injury out of it. He's not. Gonna how go is out Chapman there. throwing 101 miles an hour if he's That's, injured? I, I just told you why because <laughs> you don't have to. You can throw hard straight, no problem. But Tanaka does not have the same life on his pitches. It's obvious, when, and it's not only obvious to when you're watching the game, but. Advanced metrics show he does not have the same movement on his pitches. Yeah, I'm getting that. I understand that. But he did. The one start, if you're looking at the start of the most recent, the last two, if you're looking at the Oakland one, he did have more of that downward movement. He was living down in the zone. And he had a hell of a lot better performance. Uh, this is. I'm not telling you he's not struggling badly. I think he's terribly struggling. I think his confidence is shot right now. I think he really has to uh, go back to square one and regain it. I don't know what you do at this point. I don't. Do you shut him down? Not for an injury, but do you shut him down and let him try and work through it? How do you do that? How do you shut him down? What do you mean? Being, how do you do? How that? do you shut him down without being injured? You got to make something take up. Oh, he he's got a sore foot. Yeah, you, fine. You, okay. you just make something that, else up. Put him on the DL for something, and and you're going to give him similar to what we saw with Greg Bird. Even though it seems like Greg Bird was actually hurt, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I well, think it's something that's going to I would have sure hope so. At this point, it's been a month <laughs> for Greg Bird, but I. Scott, you can't keep running out a guy who gives up five, six, seven earned runs. You can't do that. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Two outings ago, he didn't do that. That's my point. He's they're they're gonna. If, well, this is a um, the. I, I still think it's mechanical. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't think it's an injury. I don't think he's so hurt. I think there's you're something totally going on. disregarding injury. I, I think no, I'm not. I'm the not, reason I'll tell you why I'm disregarding it. I'm disregarding it right now because I think he's under a microscope with the Yankees. That's why I don't think he's hurt. If he was hurt. The Yankees would know it, and there's no way he'd be pitching right now. No possible way he'd be on the mound if he was hurt. And the Yankees are looking for it. It's not like he can hide it easily. They are looking for these injuries. They're looking for anything, and they're not seeing it. 
I, that's where I don't get. That's where I. That's where I'm. Where I'm saying that the injury is not a thing at this point because they're looking for it and it's still not there. Next one is from Justin. Jared Cole seems to be gaining steam as a pitcher the Yankees might acquire. Do you have any thoughts on him versus some of the pitchers who are also named out there? I guess Quintana should be the obvious. The uh, and then the Yankees we we note in our note saying that the Yankees trade rumors Jared Cole, Jose Quintana, and you Darvish, which is uh, is pretty far fetched. Did you know you Darvish is a free agent after this season? Uh, after this year, he is, or is it an yeah. opt out? No, so it's it was weird because. I remember we had a mailbag question like a month ago about free agent starting pitching, and he didn't show up when I did research, but I went to his baseball reference page. He's only signed through 2017. Strange. Yeah. Um, so he is a free agent. Um, and uh, the Rangers, I mean, the, the Astros are running away with that division. They're like, got like an 11 game lead at this point. They're on pace for like 119 wins. It's crazy. So the Rangers might be sellers. Yeah, possibly. I mean, they're going to look at what that wild card is. Obviously, there's there's more opportunities. So uh, they have a good team still. I don't think they're going to be giving up. It would be pretty early for them to give up on a wild card spot, even if even if Houston is going crazy, you know, and still playing the type of baseball they are now. But I think Jared Cole is an easy one to to point out because um, one, the Pirates have are, are struggling. The uh, and there's been a lot of trades recently between the Yankees and the Pirates. I mean, there's obviously a rapport there with the Pittsburgh front office and Brian Cashman. So I think he's the guy that you, you know, naturally have to circle. It's really, you know, what are they going to be asking for? Are they going to be asking for some of our, our top prospects, which they probably are. Like I, yes. I could see them looking for like a Clint Frazier, you know, I, I'm having a prop. I don't know at that point. That's to me, that's a, that's a lot to give up for a guy like Jared Cole. So Cole and Quintana are both uh, under team control for uh, a few more years. Quintana, I believe through 2021 and Cole is, under arbitration through 2020. So both of those are team control. So they'll cost more than you, Darvish. And Quintana right now, if you look it up, is oh, like one terrible. of the worst in ERA in the league. I mean, the dude is struggling horribly. So, I mean, not making that trade in the offseason is, uh, is is looking very good. Brian Cashman is, is like, you know, pooping rainbows at this point with all the moves and not moves he's been doing because, I mean, <laughs> this is a guy that has, you know, Quintana... You know how badly we'd be killing him right now oh my for God. going out sending all our prospects to get Quintana, a guy that was in the Yankee system that they passed on once and is struggling horribly this year. I mean, there would be uh, there would be so many calls for Cashman's job, no matter what good moves he did make. I mean, it would, I'm so happy that didn't happen. Imagine if they had traded like Aaron Judge for Jose Quintana, yeah, which is, was one of the one of the many Quintana rumors. Yeah, I mean, and it was, Aaron Judge has 19 home runs for the White Sox, and we're sitting here with a four and a half five ERA Quintana. I don't even know what I'd do at that point, honestly. If I if I could, if I had that if I had that 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 scenario in front of me, I, I really I don't know if I'd be able to watch baseball. So last year when they sold at the trade deadline, I don't even think in their wildest dreams they thought twenty seventeen everything was going to go right and they were going to be in in a serious pennant race. Did you? No, absolutely not. I mean, so there was no there was no reason for 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 us to even think that it was a rebuild is a rebuild. They're setting themselves up for 2018, 2019 and and the future. Why are we are we going to overreact to the fact that this team is really good right now? They're playing really good. Are we going to give up that all of those young players that they 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 got in that rebuild? Are we going to already flip them for a starting pitcher or do we want to keep this uh train moving forward in the rebuild? Are we still trusting the process at this point? Absolutely. We are not the Chicago Cubs. 
We don't need to sell out to win one World Series. They haven't won a world. They hadn't won a World Series in over a hundred years. The Yankees have won twenty-seven championships. They are playing the long game. The fact that this season is going so well is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful coincidence in the process. So no, they're not gonna. They're not gonna put what they have building in the minor leagues in jeopardy and go out and make a rash decision, a knee-jerk reaction to try to win this one year and give up what they're gonna do into the future. No, it's not happening. So I really don't think a Darvish, Quintana, Cole, etc. is on the table for this team. This team is going to build. If they're going to look, they're going to look right now. If you're looking at what the Yankees are going to do, obviously we all know what's what's on the horizon in two years as far as free agents. If you look at the the amount of minor league talent and the talent that's currently on the Yankees roster current that that is young right now, they don't need really to add too much younger uh, prospect wise. They need to plug in missing spots. They need to go out and they need to look for pitching, free agent pitching, and you know, maybe a free agent bat here or there. That's where they're going to build from. They're going to they're going to plug holes in my opinion with free agency or they will make an off-season trade of some sort. They're not going to go at the trade deadline when the value is all over the map and you're not getting, you know, apples to apples value and and make a, a rash decision. I just don't see it happening. I don't think that Cashman is uh, is built like that. And obviously Cashman has control of this team right now. Are fans going to be mad if they don't make a trade for a starting pitcher at the trade deadline and then the starting pitching is what bites this team in the end? I think, uh, yeah, there will be mad fans, no doubt about it. But, you know, I think the fan that understands what's happening right now and sees the long-term vision of this uh, of this, of this franchise and what's happening in the minor leagues and how all these young guys are in their first freaking year of full baseball and are doing this well, you need to, to not have short-term vision. This is not a team to have short-term vision. If they, can they win the World Series this year? Sure, they could. They're playing very good baseball. Some of these pitchers, we're still playing, we're still playing phenomenal baseball, and, and some of our pitching has been terrible. So who's to say that some of these guys can't rebound, or we do get a chance Adams who comes up and, and pitches really well. There's a lot of things that can happen still between this, between now and September. And uh, I, I just... I'm not putting it out of the uh, out of the question that this this team currently, as constructed, can win in the postseason because I think they can. So, uh, I mean, there is an argument though for Quintana or Cole or someone who's signed for a longer term that it's not just a one year play. It's it's a it's a future move as well because they could lose Tanaka after this season and they might lose Pineda. So and CC is a free agent. So they're going to need starting pitching. Yeah, no doubt about it. I just think going at the trade deadline is the wrong time to get that with a team that we have. You're paying a premium. Exactly. All right, final question is from Greg in New York, and he says, my first game was Doc Gooden's no-hitter when I was nine, which was 1996, and it was my first real memory of Yankees baseball glory. What is your guy's first memory of Yankees baseball? So, Scott, we're going to have very different timelines for these memories. <laughs> Thank you for calling me old again. The, um, that was a nice way to say it. Yeah, I know it was. Uh, you know, just I think I don't have like a specific memory as far as the, you know, the one moment. But when I was a kid, it was it was just I was uh, I went to games a lot. I'll never forget that first time I looked. I went to Yankee Stadium in the outfield and the, the tunnels coming in from, you know, from when you're walking around the stadium, it was very closed off, not like it is today. And when you came out to see that grass, I mean, it was just it was so green and awesome. And I've talked about this before, but that's really my, my standing moment. That, that kind of one you know, that got me obsessed with Yankee baseball at that point. And, uh, you know, Don Mattingly was my guy. I followed him the entire time. I was obsessed with, with everything he did. And, um, and then, you know, when I was, I had this, this championship series with, uh, the 96 team. And before that, um, starting in, in really in what, 94, 93, 94, 
was when it was going. And I was 13, 14 years old at that point. So I was like in my prime being a fan, you know, of like a kid getting, getting really understanding baseball and, and uh, all into it. So um, that, yeah, that got me. Then I went to wait on, online for tickets for the 96 World Series. And uh, that, I mean, you know, you don't do that unless you're a lunatic. So one thing I am jealous of you is that you got those late 90s, early 2000s teams when you were like 16 years old, which is just that I think is probably the peak of, of baseball fandom. Um, for anyone is like 16 to 20, 21, you're, maybe you're starting to drink with your friends and like, you're, you're getting excited for playoff games that way you're waiting in line for world series tickets. Like I was eight years old in 1996. So yes, I remember it, but I mostly remember it because I've read a lot about it and I've watched a lot of highlights. My, I guess my first memory was from that 96 postseason run. I just remember my dad sitting me down in the living room being like, you're watching this. And I loved it. But, um, I do remember, though, as I got a little bit older and, you know, I get into 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, um, those all those play, late playoff games. It was something about that, those late October playoff games that would go to, like, 1230 in the morning. And I remember um, – do you remember those, like, kitchen TVs that were, like, the size of an iPhone but the back end of it was, like, the size of a microwave? Yeah. That, that, yeah. I used to take my mom's uh, TV, which was two inches – bring it up to my room and, and lay in bed listening to, uh, to the Fox broadcast or whatever on those playoff games. Yeah. That's, I mean, actually the radio, if you're, if we're talking about that, the radio was one of the, that's how I really got into it because I used to listen on my little clock radio that I had my alarm clock next to my bed. I used to listen to 77 AM every, every single game because you know, the games would go late and I would sit there and like sneak listening to, to Yankee games when I was a kid. So I, that was when, that was <clears> when <throat> Sterling and, uh, Michael K were calling the games on 770 ABC, I think it was, uh, on the on the radio. So that those were fun. I remember I'll never forget listening to Jim Abbott's No Hitter on the on the radio too. So good stuff. So if you guys want to submit mailbag questions, it's bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You could tweet us at Yankees Podcast, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. Don't forget to wish Scott a happy birthday. So tweet him happy birthday at Scott Reinen. We also have voicemails coming up. If you guys want to leave a voicemail, call six four six four eight zero zero three four two scott any last words before we get into voicemails no i'm excited for this entire week we're prepping for the june 10th event if you are coming to the june 10th event uh first of all i uh, it's gonna be just awesome meeting everybody and, and hanging out with a bunch of people andrew and i will be at kind of the front we're gonna set up some kind of a registration table so people can come in get their t-shirts um i'm gonna make andrew sit there as well with me so that you can meet uh you'll meet us as you're coming in and i definitely want to uh you know shake as many hands and and like just talk to people just so we can put some faces to names on twitter and things like that so i think it'll be a lot of fun um but really looking forward to it even if you're not uh if you are going to the game and um you know come by billy's or something and say what's up to us because we will be at billy's before the game from four to six um but yeah that, i'm looking forward to it. it's gonna be a lot of fun next weekend me too. Good stuff. Enjoy these voicemails. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. I wake up today after a long weekend, refreshed, ready to go. Yankees get off to a big lead, having a great night, and who do I see step up to the plate? Chris Carter. I need this guy out of my life now. Bring me back, Red Bird. I cannot see Chris Carter get one more at bat. Hey guys, this is Greg from New York. Calling. You guys are talking about 
Sanchez starting to break out. I think I just watched it right now. This is tonight, two home runs against the Blue Jays. And what I love to see him keep this streak going. Hey guys, long time listener to the show. I just want to say, Luis Severino, he's killing it. I love seeing him pitch with that chain dangling, with that 1.08 whip, dominating against Boston. I love it. Uh, I just wanted to call in and say that when Masahiro Tanaka wins as a World Series with his personal catcher, both of you guys are going to have to eat a huge bag of shit, and I'm really looking forward to that moment because there's absolutely no way you can be upset about it. Uh, also really looking forward to heading to the Bronx next weekend uh, for the party coming for the Orioles game, and see you guys then. There we go, a two-run over on the Castro. I was literally driving on the uh, LIE Growth Department. I was driving on the North Parkway. And I'm thinking, oh, man, five don't let go. Boys got to help out the data. Aaron Judge, Stalin Castro, two-run home runs. Let's go, 5-4. We got this series. Got to get that uh, road ALE record back. Hey, boys, it's Richie from South Florida. Just had a quick question for you. Um, Gliber Torres right now is hitting 194 in AAA, and there's been a lot of talk about bringing him up for uh, the 2017 season. Uh, just interested in what you guys think about that. Uh, personally, I wouldn't mind him uh, staying in the minors for the rest of the season, but, um, you know, a lot of buzz going on lately about bringing him up early too soon or what? Castro and Judge will start at the All-Star Games this summer. Count on it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.